Well, good morning. What a joy that the Lord allows us to be together and have some fellowship today, isn't it? Praise the Lord for that. Uh, I was just, uh, my, my family and I were just looking forward so much to come and meet you guys. And uh, it's our first time in Lake Iraq, so uh, it's a first for us. My name is Jorge Salazar, and uh, my wife, Aime, and Daniel is our youngest boy, uh, the third of three boys who are now studying in seminary, and we're from Mexico, so... Uh, in a month from today, it's our first year here in Canada. So we're so happy to be here with you, and I feel just so blessed that we were invited to share the Word of God with you. So we are going to continue the series on the parables that we have been studying uh, through this summer. And uh, today we're going to read one of these parables that are uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bible with you, I would uh, ask you to go to Matthew chapter 7. And while you do that, let me just tell you that people are weird. People are pretty weird. We are really. I mean, we don't like being deceived, but yet uh, we love to deceive ourselves. We don't like being lied to, but we lie to ourselves over and over. And you know, sometimes we don't even notice that we're lying to ourselves. That's why we have that unfinished project sitting somewhere in our garage, and we say, well, you know, this weekend, I will really get it done. But sometimes just time continues to go by. And some people think that they can sing, but they can't. And good luck trying to tell them they can't and keeping their friendship, right? Um, you know, other people have a collection of diets that they were going to observe at some time, and they never did. And we think we're good listeners. But, you know, we really aren't that good. And so we go about our lives with those little self-deceptions, and we don't pay too much attention to them until we fall off our skateboard trying to impress our little kids, and we realize with the hit of reality that we're not the same as 30 years ago. We're not. You know, and while some people might think there's no harm done with these kinds of things, today we'll learn about the greatest deception that could ruin our lives for eternity. A deception as subtle as all of this that I've mentioned, but far more dangerous than anything else under the sun. So we need to learn how to recognize it, and we need to learn how to cling to a foundation for life. So please open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And uh, while you find it, let me tell you a little bit about the context Jesus is uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount starting on Matthew 5. And he's, he began with the Beatitudes and he's telling them, you know, all the, all the wonders about the kingdom of God and what it means to truly be a Christian. And then in chapter 6, he starts telling about the disciplines of the kingdom, you know, prayer and fasting and uh, giving and trusting the Lord. And then in chapter 7, he warns us about false teachers. And he concludes this amazing sermon with this parable that we find in verse 24. So let us hear the word of God now. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, 
for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So far as reading God's word. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will just impress in our hearts what you want to tell us and what you want us to know. That it will be you, God, working in us and through us. And that we will leave this place trying to know you better and trying to walk better on your ways in Jesus' name. Amen. So the picture we just read is about two builders who went and built two identical houses. Now, there's nothing wrong with these two houses, but the problem was the foundation on which they were built. We just read that one was built in the sand and the other was built on solid rock. So when the rain came and all the storms came, only one remained standing, the one whose foundation was on the rock. But the contrast Jesus is making, it's not so much about the houses, but between the men. He actually calls one of the men wise and the other one foolish. But if we go even further, the wise and the foolish men are examples of two kinds of people. Those who hear the words of Jesus and do them, and those who hear the words of Jesus and don't do them. And before you think this refers to believers and unbelievers, this is actually talking about people who think they are Christians, but they are not. People who have deceived themselves into believing they're Christians, believing they have a secure seat to heaven, but they have not. So the first warning we'll learn today is, number one, beware of deceiving yourself. And you may say, well, how is that possible? How could I do that? Well, it's possible for many reasons. Many people have found that Christianity is pretty appealing. You know, they have programs for children. They have, you know, great coffee meetings and breakfasts and all kinds of stuff. They have great advice for the marketplace, for marriage and family and raising kids. You know, they have high moral values, and Christians always know how to share food and how to have a good time with friends. Actually, when you walk into churches, you feel that great environment, and it's so joyful and peaceful, and let's not forget about those wonderful songs uh, that speak about not being alone, not feeling guilty, becoming a better you every day, and in fact, sometimes when you walk for the first time into a church, you even walk out with a present. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be a Christian, right? Other people have a long genealogy of Christian traditions. You know, their, their parents were Christians, their grandparents were Christians, their great-grandparents were Christians, and they can trace, most of them or some of them can trace their genealogy all the way to Mena Simmons. And you know, they feel right at home in the church. They've been coming to church since they were little babies. And they're the fastest Bibles in the West. If you go to the book of Abadiah, they find it right away, even faster than the senior pastor. They're like, wow. They've actually memorized entire chapters of the Bible. And they are confident that they are as Christians as Christ himself. And yet, other people consider themselves agnostic, or they didn't want to do anything with God or the Christian church. But then things went pretty bad, and someone came and spoke to them the message of the gospel. And they began to open up to the idea that, well, you know, there might be some truth about it. Let's explore that. And they decided to give it a try. And here they are. So there are many reasons why we're all here and why we 
we all came to the church at some point, but we all came with our own concepts about who God is and our own concepts of what it means to be a Christian. And as we've come to know the Lord, my prayer is that we are uh, letting the Bible shape those concepts that we have about God and Christianity. But there's still a long way to go. And you may wonder why I said that these two men are actually people from the church. Well, I know that because of the context. A few verses earlier, Jesus said to them in verse 15, if you look at that, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. And this is clearly in line with the parable of the convergence and the parable of the weeds or the wheat and the tares. They look identical. You can't tell the difference right away. They look like sheep, but in reality, they are wolves. Wow, Lord. How can we tell? He said, look at their fruit. That's how you tell. Actually, if you want to tell whether a preacher or a pastor is truly a man of God, just look at his life. Look at his marriage. Look at his family. Look at his children. Is there fruit there? Can you truly see the work of God in their lives? And in verse 19, he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. But then Jesus brings it a notch closer to home. Oh, this is how I can tell what an imposter is. This is what I can tell uh, what a fake Christian looks like. Yeah, but listen to what he says in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, these men are convinced they are Christians. They called Jesus Lord, Lord. They have an impressive resume. You see, prophesying, you know, doing mighty works, casting out demons. I mean, they fit the profile. If someone's to be in heaven, these guys must be it. But the Lord says, depart from me. And do you see what Jesus called his resume? He called it lawlessness. And did you notice Jesus' reproach? He says, I never knew you. And he's not talking about knowledge. Jesus knows everything. He knows every single person in the whole wide world. He's all-knowing. He's talking about saving knowledge. I never knew you in a saving relationship. He's talking about that. These men were deceived. They thought they were in, but they realized they had been fooling themselves. You know, maybe they were coming to church every weekend and they were sitting on the front rows and praising the Lord with all their lungs. Maybe they were volunteering to every activity at Central. Maybe uh, even, even uh, leading small groups. I don't know. Posting every single verse in the Bible in their Facebook profiles. But they were deceiving themselves. And it's right here in this context 
when, where the Lord tells us about these two men who heard his words. They're from the church. So number one, beware of deceiving yourself. Number two, being deceived has grave consequences. Listen to verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. That's not a nice picture. All that work for nothing. I mean, putting up the walls, trying to find the best windows for the house, actually, you know, doing a lot of work, painting it, working on the roofing so that it will be ready for the rain season, tendering the garden, making everything ready. Oh, the house was beautiful. It was pretty. It was nice. You thought it was the perfect house. You felt so good about yourself because that house was breathtaking. And then the rain, the floods, the winds, and it's all debris and rubble. The men in verse 19 were thrown into the fire. The men in verse 23 were thrown into the fire. Depart from me, I do not know you. The man in this verse is thrown into the fire. Great was the fall of it. And I know it's a bleak picture. I know we don't like being told that we can't sing when we think we can. And we certainly don't like the possibility of being deceived ourselves. But we must understand that being deceived has grave consequences. You know, a few years ago, I was talking to uh, my sister-in-law after dinner in Mexico, and, and you, must, you must know that in Mexico, dinner can be prolonged from 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. because we are a relational culture. So we were just talking after this, and, and I am Mexican, so if you ever invite me over, you better clear your schedule because it might take longer than 90 minutes. But no, just kidding. I'll, I'm getting a little more Canadian in that way. <laughs> but uh, we were talking, and, and you know, we were arguing, and she was just telling me about uh, she didn't care about Christianity, and it was all nonsense to her. And then she would say, you know, you know what I believe? I said, what do you believe? I believe that we just keep coming back to life, just being born again every, every time, just reincarnated, and every time you're learning something, and then you are better and better and better every time. The funny thing is that you'd never remember anything. Say so like, wow. So I started asking her these questions that would help her wrestle with some of the illogical things and uh, things that she was tell, uh, telling us. And uh, I remember there was a point when I said to her, so how did you come up with all that stuff? I mean, where did you get all that? Who's the authority about all that reincarnation stuff that you're believing? And she said to me, well, you know, I don't know. I just believe it. That's what I believe, and that's it. She couldn't even trace where she got all those ideas, but she was just adamant at defending all of that. And you see, Jesus died and rose again. He demonstrated with signs and wonders that he is who he said he is. He is God in the flesh. He showed his authority over spiritual world when he was casting out demons. 
He showed his authority over the natural world when he walked in water, when he multiplied the bread and the fish. He showed his authority over sickness when he was healing the sick. He showed his authority over death when he rose Jairus' daughter and Lazarus. And finally, he rose himself from the grave. You know, he did all that so that we would believe what Matthew actually writes at the end of this passage, that he is the one with the authority. Jesus is. So what should we do? Well, number three, we must have the right foundation. Listen to what it says in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Who is the wise man? The wise man is he who hears his words and do them. You see, that is exactly what Jesus said about some Jews that had believed in him in John 8, 31. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. It is the same thing that Jesus said during the Last Supper when he said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. It is what Paul wrote in Colossians three sixteen: Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It is what God told Joshua in the Old Testament. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Over and over and over through scriptures, we read the word, the word, the word of God. It can make you wise unto salvation. It will be a light on your path. It will correct, comfort, rebuke, instruct, guide. We must desire his word. We must long to dive in the infinite well of wisdom until it comes out of our pores. Are you listening? That is why James warns us about this very thing we're learning. James writes, but be doers of the word and not only hearers deceiving yourselves. You see, it is the word of God that tells us that Christ is the rock of our salvation. It is the word of God that tells us that Christ is the stone the builders rejected but has become the cornerstone. It is the word of God that tells us that salvation belongs to our God and that we are saved by the grace of God, not by anything that we could ever do or accomplish. You know, if the day you get to heaven, you're asked, why should I let you in? And your response is, well, you know, you should let me in because I've given so much money to missions and the church and the work around the world. Uh, you should let me in because, well, I've never missed a Sunday to church. Even during COVID, I watched every service online. And, you know, you should let me, oh, you should let me into church because I helped in soccer camp at 40 degrees Celsius in Jellowak. I deserved it. 
Let me tell you the bad news. You won't be allowed in. It's not about what you do. The Bible says that even our works of righteousness are like filthy rags before a holy God. It's not about what we do. But when you get to heaven, if you're asked, why should I let you in? And your response is, Lord, there's nothing in me that I would deserve to be here. But I should be in because of what Jesus did for me. Because he paid the price for my sins. Because he died in my place. Because he obeyed the law perfectly in my place. It is because of Jesus that I am redeemed. It is because of what he did. Then my brother, my sister, you have the right foundation. And let me finish with this. Number four, the test of your perseverance. You see, foundations are meant to be set once and for all. And you are to build on top of that. And the size of the building and the type of the building depends on the foundation. But when you're grounded in the Word of God, you have a solid foundation. You see, it doesn't matter if the rain falls, if the rain falls, the floods come and the winds blow and beat on your house, you shall remain unmovable. You will not fall because you are founded on the rock. You see, those people without a solid foundation don't understand why bad things happen. They don't know how to cope with a bad diagnosis or a family tragedy. They don't understand the temporality or the fragility of this fallen world and their lives are devastated by calamity. But you see, those with a solid foundation, they also experience calamity. They also face horrible diagnosis. They also experience brokenness and pain, but they will not fall because they know the God who is the rock and their salvation. They know him and they are known by him. And they can say with the apostle Paul, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers or height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't care if it's cancer. I don't care if it's money. I don't care if it's family issues. I don't care if I couldn't go to my son's wedding. All I know is I am his and he is mine. Because the Bible tells me so. So we should go on and be doers of the word out of worship out of praise, out of gratitude for what he has done for us just because of his grace and because of his great mercy. Amen. Why don't you let me pray for you? Heavenly Father, I just thank you that it is not up to us, but that salvation comes from you. Thank you, Lord, that today we know who you are and we can hear in your word that you have paid the price for our sins. Thank you because at some point 
we've heard this, and I pray that each one of us have surrendered their lives and repented before you of our sins so that we will just cling to you with all our hearts. We praise your name and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.